Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. best Gerard Butler. That was my best Gerard Butler. I hope you enjoyed it. Those you listening at home, cast your vote now. Is that a better <laughs> Gerard Butler than Gerard Butler? <laughs> Honestly, my ending note there was a little mean. I tried to make Gerard Butler sound a little bit like the Cowardly Lion, and he doesn't deserve that. <laughs> He's not quite that ridiculous. No, he doesn't have that much vibrato. <laughs> well, hi, friends. Welcome back to our second annual Musical Month. Hooray! I don't have the energy to be singing, but <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> yeah, we are recording this after Harmony has done a very long day at work. But that's every episode we record. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, that's every episode at this point. Because it's cool. I took a shot of espresso and go have, we're going to be fine. We're going to get really hype for um, some... ALW. That's mm. what we're about to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, is it going to be like that South Park episode where all the dudes are squaring up about musical theater? Oh, and they have a bro off? Yeah. Oh, the Sondheim one's the best one. Is though. that the hype that we're going to get? Sweeney Todd, bro. West Side Story, bro. Merely we roll along, bro. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, goodness. So this movie has actually been requested a few times. And what's really interesting is I put out on Twitter hey, it's May Musical Month, what sort of titles do you want to see? And first off, a lot of you were like, Moulin Rouge, and like, that's not a teen movie. I love it so much, but it's not a teen movie. No, she's like 30. Yeah. Um, I think people have forgotten that Phantom of the Opera is a teen movie. Decidedly a teen movie in that Christine is like 16, and also I think like 90% of the fan base of Phantom of the Opera was at some point... Like teen girls. Oh, yeah. 15-year-old theater kids. Yeah. For sure. Um, so I'm really, really excited to talk about this because I don't think people were expecting it. And I'm very curious to see how y'all are going to feel about it. What a swerve, Phantom. What a swerve, <laughs> Phantom. I mean, I feel like Phantom of the Opera in terms of musical theater is kind of like the Spanish Inquisition. Like, you never expected, but there's always a threat. Y- yeah. I mean, this is the musical theater musical in my brain. Mm-hmm. I, absolutely. It had the longest run. Is it still going? Phantom's still going on, isn't it? Yeah, it's still the it's longest. the longest running musical ever. Yeah, it, oh, it uh, will not die, which is why there is a sequel 
called Love Never Dies. Is that precisely why? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> It'd be funny though, but I I'm not gonna give Andrew Lloyd Webber that much credit. <laughs> um so yeah, this is this is gonna be an interesting one. I'm very, very excited. Um Normally, this is where I would ask Harmony, like, hey, give me your story. How did you first meet Phantom? But that story is a little bit too interesting, so we're going to hold off for just a bit. Because first, we got to do everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend. You give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts and you tag us on social media, hashtag this ends at prom or at this ends at prom. I love that one of our friends texted us and was like, hey, are you trying to like reverse psychology people into thinking that it's actually the, the best part of the show? <laughs> and you were like, no, I'm being sarcastic. Yeah, no, it's sarcastic. Nobody likes the ads. Nobody likes the, the self-promotion, but uh, we have to keep the lights on. So that's part of it. Yeah. And uh, the, I don't know. It's a nice way to be like, hey, you can skip like 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> but anyway, here you go. We're, we're back. So Harmony, I'm so excited for you to tell the world this story because it's banana cakes ridiculousness. How did you first meet Phantom? Uh, so Phantom has kind of existed throughout the 90s, and even if mm-hmm. you didn't know what it was, there was a lot of, like, Phantom of the Opera Trapper Keepers and, like, <laughs> sweatshirts. Oh, yeah, that logo was everywhere. Yeah, which I kind of love, like, the simplicity and the evocative nature of, like, the mask and the rose, because it looks like, I don't know, a, a, a game over screen or a game start screen for, like, a Final Fantasy game. Where it's like a sword and a rose and a single spotlight on a black screen. Continue. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It kind of has a similar energy of all your friends are dead, game over from Friday the 13th video game. Yeah, well, that also has like a mask just laying on the lo- right. on the screen. So like, yeah, it, it feels like that because the, the imagery of the mask and the rose is so romantic and mysterious. Inherently. It's kind of like Beauty and the Beast, which is also a single rose. You know, you got a point. I I always think more Hunchback, but yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, similar. It's it's not exactly an original story. No, they're all kind of derivative of each other. I mean, Phantom of the Opera isn't even original because it's based on the horror movie from 1925 with Lon Chaney, and it's also based on the novel from way way earlier than that. Yeah, so... Phantom has kind of always existed around. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned about it in fifth grade, I think, because Phantom was coming to Playhouse Square in mm-hmm. Cleveland. And my family decided we're going to go see Phantom. 
I don't know why. We've never gone to any other musical or theater or anything, but we decided we're taking a family trip to go see Phantom. Hey, Rust Belt Refinement, you got to get it where you can. Hey, uh, Cleveland's got a phenomenal theater district. It does. That is one thing that I will absolutely hype. Uh, Cleveland has the largest theater district outside of Broadway in the country. Mm -hmm. That is a true fact. And Cleveland Playhouse, where I used to work, shout out CPH, is the oldest regional theater in the country. And that's really cool. Yeah, so like that's, that's tight. Uh, I don't really remember much about seeing Phantom live, aside from the chandelier and it just swinging around and rising and falling and doing all these cool things, Mm -hmm. because that's the most exciting part. Yeah. Um, Also, I remember that I was like nine, Mm -hmm. and I was a chubby kid, and my nice shirts were Hawaiian, (laughs) because that's the kind of kid I was. It was like the year 2000, maybe 2001, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I was was around a lot of people dressed like the Monopoly man. (laughs) Not not a lot of color in those outfits. No, and I mean this with absolutely no disrespect. Uh, Obviously, I was never a chubby nine-year-old boy wearing a Hawaiian shirt at the theater, Mm -hmm. but I, like... you're going to see Phantom of the Opera. Like, it's not like you're going to see Wicked or something that is, like, kind of modern. For all intents and purposes, you're going to the opera. Like, this is a very kind of serious show. I can't imagine this was a blast and a half for a nine-year-old boy. Um, I don't know. I think we were just getting culture because that's definitely where, like, the part two of this story comes <laughs> and the more interesting part uh-huh. of, my, of my knowledge of Phantom so we, uh, my family bootlegged movies all the time. Yeah, like we had two VCRs. We recorded one of the rented movies onto the other VCR, and just had maybe like ten movies that we actually bought. The other ones were either taken off the TV or just from drug mart rentals. In my household, that was a Grandma Betty special. R.I.P. I love you. Miss you every single day. Ah, <laughs> uh, love you, Grandma Betty. But. We did that a lot. So when the Phantom movie comes out and I'm like 13 years old, yeah, we, we got Phantom because my dad decided I'm a cultured, classy man mm. with Phantom of the Opera. My, my, mm. dad, my dad worked at a factory uh, and rather than just being like, I'm a guy who makes wheelchair parts for a living, he came to like career day in third grade and was like, hey, so I work in a factory, but more importantly, I'm a professional golfer. <laughs> By which, that means he won, like, a tool set once, Uh or a novelty grill shaped like a football. (laughs) Like, that's the kind of professional golfer my dad was. To me- He was basically, like, saying, I'm a professional bingo player. (laughs) That, to me, is, like, one time I gave somebody CPR at the pool and saved their life. I'm a doctor. (laughs) It's like, no, I don't know if that's how that works. No, so, um, I think my dad was just not really cozy with where he was in his life, mm-hmm. as, like, a blue-collar man, probably still with a mullet. <laughs> um, so he, he wanted to, like, zhuzh it up. Uh-huh. And, yeah, so we bootlegged Phantom as, as a classic <laughs> yeah, family. Yeah, because that's zhuzhing up, is bootlegging <laughs> a movie. And, uh, I distinctly remember, like, coming home from playing outside or wherever I was, a friend's house, and I, like... You walk through the kitchen, and then the kitchen's connected to the living room, Uh and I have to walk through the living room to get to my bedroom, Uh and my dad is there with one of my uncles and, like, two other guys, 
and they are watching Phantom with beers in their hands. And what my dad, kind of beer? Because that is important for this visual in my brain. God, I wish I knew what kind of beer my dad drank. Probably Bush or something like that. <laughs> so, like, we're not like talking dad about, beers. Yeah, we're not talking about like a lovely craft beer while they're watching Phantom. We're talking about like a can of Coors Light, maybe Budweiser. For all intents and purposes, rural Ohio didn't have craft beer in 2004. That didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they're drinking like low quality dad beers, and my dad is explaining the plot of. Phantom. <laughs> Phantom, you know, one of the simplest, most easy to understand <laughs> plots in the universe that could easily be summed up in like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, they sum it up in Family Guy. Like there's a Family Guy joke that is, we got it. We know what Phantom's about now. Yeah, like what is it's one about like, Show me the gross half of your face. Yes. Show me the gross half of your face so I can get out of here. Yeah. Like, that's basically it. Like, you can easily take all the plot of Phantom and condense it into such a small window. Absolutely. You're, but you're not there for that. You're there for the spectacle. And I of think course. it's that it was an opera, even if it is a, a popra. Right. It's Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, a, a dignified songwriter. <laughs> The man who gave us Starlight Express and Cats. <laughs> I was just thinking, that's also a Family Guy joke. Is it? Starlight Express! Starlight <laughs> Express! And yeah, it's a joke that no one actually knows the music from Starlight Express. Personally, I think Starlight Express, pretty okay. If we're going to do roller skating musicals, I'm more of a rink woman myself, but that's neither here nor there. I don't know. I, I think I've listened to Starlight Express. Does it kind of sound like Xanadu? Kind of, yeah. Okay, then yes. Similar I energy. Have, which I like. So, yeah. yeah. Um... But yeah, that's my experience with Phantom. <laughs> and I'm just kind of losing my mind. Like, it sounds like an SNL sketch of just like walking into a room and it's like Midwest dad drinking beer, watching Phantom while one guy's like, all right, so you see here, this, this is what happens is we've got Christine Daye. She's, ah, not 16. And she's in a relationship, kind of. He taught her how to sing. He's like, we don't know. An adult of some kind. And, uh, At least twice her age. And uh, if she's not the star, then uh, he's going to ruin the opera. Th that's it. Yeah, like, like <laughs> my dad does not sound like he's from Chicago, but more or less. I don't yeah. know how to do a Midwest <laughs> accent that doesn't immediately turn Minnesota or Chicago. Like, those are your options. It's, the de it's devoid of an accent because we're from Ohio. That's true. It's just very flat. Yes, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like your news anchor voice. Yes. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's it. I'm also, I'm glad I get a dunk on my dad because I dunk on my mom all the time. But my dad wasn't around, so I don't get as many opportunities. And I promise you, he is no better. In <laughs> fact, he is quite a bit worse. So, yeah. yeah that's, just... This was a special little story for me to share. <laughs> <laughs> and fully, one of the reasons that we chose to do Phantom of the Opera was to give Harmony the opportunity to tell that story. Just the world needs to know. This, this, is, this is what I grew up with. <laughs> This, this man, who had two separate copies of the Garth Brooks Complete Discography box set, <laughs> because he got sick of my brother borrowing his, and they could listen to Garth Brooks at the same time in opposite rooms. Oh, Harmony Colangelo. One parent says really racist things to wait staff at Mexican restaurant, and the other one teaches Midwest dads about Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Oh, I'm there you go. I'm so glad you turned out the way you did. Thank you. I appreciate you it. You were set up for failure, my love. <laughs> <laughs> so my introduction to Phantom is the complete opposite. I'm an insufferable theater kid. I've known Phantom of the Opera since I was born, and I went and saw the movie in theaters with a lot of my th equally dorky theater friends. 
We, of course, had very big feelings about it at the time, uh, thought it was beautiful, spectacular, incredible. Oh, my gosh, it's the greatest. Because that's what happens when you're uh, like a 15-year-old in musical theater. Whatever is the most recent show you've seen is the best show you've ever seen and is your favorite show. Uh-huh. That's how that works. Gotcha. Um, then I got older, went away to school for theater, and um, obviously then you learn that movie is not good from from like your teachers and your older classmates. And you're like, oh, I guess I don't like Phantom of the Opera. Well, and I, then <laughs> I think at some point everyone turns on fandom. Yes. In much the way that yes. I turned on Rent. Yes. <laughs> like I burned a copy of the Rent soundtrack. I downloaded off of LimeWire. It's probably still in your car. <laughs> and then it's eventually I turned. Yes. So that's very much what happened with me with Phantom. And then. In like the last, I would say like five or six years, I've really come around on it because I realize, do I like Phantom of the Opera, the movie, as a musical interpretation, like a movie musical interpretation of the stage show? No. Do I like Phantom of the Opera as a Joel Schumacher movie from the 2000s? Yes, I fucking do. (laughs) I I would say Schumacher is head and shoulders the, above anything else in this movie as far as like why you should watch this movie. 1000%. He is selling it on his shoulders. Yes, I I agree completely. So before we start analyzing it, if you are someone who has somehow missed Phantom of the Opera and don't actually know what this is about, here's what our friend Dango has to say. Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera tells the story of a disfigured musical genius, Gerard Butler, who haunts the catacombs beneath the Paris opera, waging a reign of terror over its occupants. When he falls fatally in love with the lovely Christine, Emmy Rossum, the Phantom devotes himself to creating a new star for the opera, exerting a strange sense of control over the young soprano as he nurtures her extraordinary talents. Coming soon to you this Christmas season. Uh, so... I think it's really funny that the Phantom is the Phantom and it's like he haunts the opera house when he's like basically just a Scooby-Doo villain. Yeah. Like you're really more just squatting. (laughs) It's also like to me how before we gave a name to Michael Myers, he's the shape. Mm -hmm. And it's like he he gets a proper title. (laughs) He's the Phantom. (laughs) You will come. Alrighty, so Harmony, set the stage of of what's happening right around this time. Give me some context in which the world of Phantom exists. So my understanding of Phantom is that they'd been trying to make it for like 20 years. They had been trying to make this movie like a year after it debuted on Broadway. <laughs> yeah, so Phantom was an effort for a long time. And why did Phantom get made in 2004? I mean, I can tell you that I remember in high school, there was a whole lot of movie musicals. Mm-hmm. And like, why did in 2005 through 2007, we get Rent and The Producers and Dreamgirls and Across the Universe and Enchanted and Sweeney Todd and, and so Hairspray, on and so forth. yeah. Just uh, Reaver Madness. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I love Reaver Madness. Yeah, so we got so many in the mid-2000s. 
And uh, Phantom comes out in 2004, right before all these. Phantom doesn't do exceptionally well. It does pretty good numbers, but it's also a big budget. Mm-hmm. So it does okay. Like, Phantom on its own is not enough to create a trend. Mm-hmm. However, there, there are two movies. One that starts a trend and then one that makes it a trend and not just a fluke. Can I place my bets? Yeah, go ahead. It's Moulin Rouge in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like both those movies made a lot of money, but Chicago made like three hundred million dollars and was nominated for like twelve Academy Awards. It won Best Picture. Yeah, like, yeah. Moulin Rouge also did a lot of that. Like Moulin Rouge walked so that Chicago could run. Yeah, one thousand percent. But I think that that finally, I think finally, the success of those made everyone go, "Huh, should probably do Phantom." Yeah, we should probably bring back the movie musical because mm-hmm. then it exploded after that because everything kind of got thrown into production around the same time. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's why Phantom happens in 2004. Mm-hmm. BJ, I want you to answer me a question. Okay. Phantom of the Opera in the 80s doesn't sound like the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, it certainly doesn't sound like musicals from the 80s as I like to remember them. And there's a lot of 80s musicals that I quite enjoy, mm-hmm. like uh, Little Shop or Shock Treatment, you know, mm-hmm. equal horror in, in big quotes compared to Phantom. Also, horror musicals. Also, chess. <laughs> not a horror musical, but yeah. So <laughs> these do not sound like Phantom. Correct. Phantom is, cl- Phantom's closest contemporary sounds more like Les Mis. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I really like either of these musicals <laughs> as music. Uh-huh. Why do Les Mis and Phantom sound the way that they do? Okay. They do literally everything else going on, and yet they're the most successful. Okay, so you're dealing with two things here. So, one, they are both based on classic pieces of literature. Sure. There tends to, unless you're doing, like, an intentional, like, it's the rock retelling of... Blah, blah, blah. Like the fact that like uh, like Spring Awakening, um, which I don't think you're familiar with at all. But I th- know of its basic structures. Right. Sure. So it like that's a rock musical, but it is based on like a very, very, very old German text. Okay. So they obviously were like Spring Awakening. It's like the rock version of this. So because they were not doing that, they were not subverting, you know, what you'd be expecting. Uh, the music has a bit more of a classical sound to it. Mm-hmm. In I mean, terms, it's an opera. Yes. In terms of Phantom... The reason it sounds the way it does is one wanting to capture that like kind of classical styling. Although there are synthesizers because it's the '80s, and why not? Let's mix this old classic style of of music with synthesizers. Ha ha! Look how brilliant I oh, am. Oh yeah, the movie has distractingly farty synthesizers when we first hear the Phantom Overture. Because it's so deep. It's <laughs> it it's got that kind of like way that like a Hammond organ reverberates, mm-hmm. and it just sounds real. Like a toot. Like, it's just like... (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. Um, But the reason, in my opinion, and there are going to probably be people screaming, going, that's not it at all, but... This is this is my read on it. And, I appreciate uh, you taking ownership of your words. I am taking ownership of my words. Don't at me about this. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote this musical because he loved Sarah Brightman and like was obsessed with her and wanted to have a show that could like really like kind of highlight her voice. And Sarah Brightman is a classically trained soprano. She has a beautiful 
just remarkable voice and one that doesn't fully like fit into a lot of musical theater. Like she's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. And she can sing the shit out of anything. Mm -hmm. But there's a reason that when people think of like Sarah Brightman, they either think Phantom of the Opera or they think things like Time to Say Goodbye, which is like opera. Mm -hmm. Do you know what song that is? Nope. It's a song from Step Brothers that he sings at the end. Oh. There you go. Gotcha. (laughs) So like that's where people's brain go. Or, you know, she sings opera and repo. But again, she's singing opera in all Mm -hmm. of those. So this is a show that is meant to highlight that sort of classical singing. Um, Also, the classical vocals, I think, work with kind of the aesthetic of the show. um, Because it's not drawing a juxtaposition. It's sort of just like falling into it. And it's about the opera. And a lot of the songs that you have exist within the world, like like the play within the play, Mm -hmm. the opera within the Phantom of the Opera. Um, So that's why it's there. I'm a sucker for rock musicals that do the same. Yes. Well, the reason... I think as well that they were so popular like Les Mis and and Phantom is because one, they're epics. So there's, there's that they're huge. Like they're massive spectacle pieces with just massive, massive musical numbers, not in the sense of like big choreography, like not that it is vocally. So like, it's a wall of sound. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But also um, we do this thing when it comes to music and in particular musical theater where our brains associate big, loud, belty notes or very, very high notes as being good and or impressive. Sure. Like, you can have somebody like Adele, who is typically kind of an alto. Some people are like, oh, she's a mezzo because she has a higher range. She's an alto. Like, let her be an alto. Stop trying to shove her in a box. But the reason that people love her so much is because she can still hit those really like loud belty notes when the rest of her voice is so low. It's another reason people like Amy Winehouse Mm -hmm. because they were just impressed. They're not used to hearing that sound. Okay. Because typically our brain is like Demi Lovato. They are fantastic because they can hit those like wailing high notes. Like that's so impressive. Or when people think about like who are the best male vocalists you've ever heard, your brain goes Freddie Mercury because Freddie can sing really, really high. Justin Hawkins from The Darkness, because he can sing really, really high. It's really funny because Freddie's a baritone. Right. Freddie's a baritone. But your brain is like, oh, but he sings all those high notes. Therefore, he's good. We have love for the tenor. Like, baritones do not get to sing lead ever. God forbid. Like, you are cursed as a leading singer if you have bass. Yeah, the only way that you get to sing lead if you're a bass is if you're making some baby-making music. If you've got, like, Barry White. <laughs> or if you're, like, Oogie Boogie. <laughs> yeah, or if you're Oogie Boogie. That's your role in a musical is you get to be Oogie Boogie or fucking old Deuteronomy. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the same person. And I still cannot believe that they cast Dave Judy Dench. <sighs> I'm, I'm still uncomfortable thinking about the closing monologue of Cats and how she just looks at the camera for like six minutes. Again, Andrew Lloyd Webber is an insane person. <laughs> like <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber very much feels like the musical theater version of like Stephen King where it's just like, can I just blame this on Coke? Can I blame this on <laughs> 80s cocaine? Because that seems to be what this decision was. <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of what we're dealing with here with uh, <laughs> with fam. The opera. Gotcha. <sighs> so we have we have our context for Phantom in its original incarnation, and now our movie incarnation. Mm-hmm. Do you want to look at our characters? <sighs> yeah, let's look at these characters. Let's get a look at these warlocks. All right. So first off, let's go with Christine Daae. Emmy Rossum came to this role from like a very weird place. Originally, uh, this was supposed to be Katie Holmes. 
who is not a singer. I mean, that would match the leading man, I suppose. <laughs> we'll get to him. Um, Katie Holmes was taking voice lessons, and it just wasn't happening. Like, mm-hmm. this is a very hard show to do vocally. It just is. So they were like, okay, well, that's not going to work. How about Anne Hathaway? You know, she just did Princess Diaries. She is a classically trained soprano. This will be perfect. Anne Hathaway would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she was contractually obligated to do Princess Diaries to a royal engagement. So she couldn't do it. Uh, probably a better choice. Maybe. Part of, <laughs> like, I have this weird, like, I wish that I could live in the multiverse in which, like, she did play this role and see, like, how that would have affected her career. Yeah. I'm just very curious about it. I want to know if she would have gotten Anne Hathaway later on in life. True. Um. So then they end up getting Emmy Rossum, who was only 18 at the time, so she was very young. And a lot of people give her shit for her voice in this, and I think it's because your brain associates it with Sarah Brightman. I, I mean, I don't really... Well, that's good. <laughs> I don't really associate it with her specifically. I'm like, oh, I know what you sound like. But when I think of Phantom, I think of covers of Phantom. Gotcha. Like my favorite version of this theme is by Nightwish. Gotcha. And like that's, that is a, a, good that's a very chesty female vocal. Yes, very much. Um, so a lot of people didn't like her voice on this. They thought it was too sweet. Um, I, mean, I, I feel like that fits the character. And that's kind of how I feel like, about it. Like she's very innocent. She's... I mean, I'm going to be real with you. Pretty much every character in this entire musical can be summed up in like one sentence, except Mm -hmm. for the Phantom, where it's just like, well, he's this. And then it's revealed he's a liar. So like two sentences. (laughs) Um, I I don't know. Like we all are naive and sweet and innocent and eventually make some bad decisions that put us with our first ever red flag boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, Fortunately, (laughs) not everyone's first red flag boyfriend is twice your age plus some, uh-huh. and also a murderer who lives <laughs> right. in the sewer. So With his sewer horse. With his many sewer accoutrements. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Like, it, may, it fits, I think. Also, she doesn't have what I would think of as like a 2004 like pop singer voice. That I feels agree out of completely. Place. Yeah. Um, like, I think of, of of a lot of more modern musicals from the 2000s, like think uh, like Chicago. Mm-hmm. Christina Aguilera is a phenomenal singer, and she's always been a great singer. Mm-hmm. But Christina Aguilera's voice is impressive in a way that doesn't work in the context of like history. Right. If she were to randomly show up in Chicago, which is like a very jazzy musical, it would have it wouldn't sound right. Which is no. why instead she's in burlesque. Yes. It's- <laughs> She has a very a very modern take on yes. on singing. It's, yes, it's, yes, it's yes. a lot of an amalgamation of various influences throughout decades that yes. got her voice. That doesn't work in Phantom, where none of that stuff exists yet. Correct. So you kind of need this more straightforward, um, almost simple way of singing. Which is not to say that like she's not talented. It's just stripped away from mm-hmm. a lot of what you associate with as like a good singer. No, I agree it doesn't, with that. It doesn't sound like work. Like yeah. Christina Aguilera found, sounds like she's working. Right. This just sounds like, it's you know, so you're, effortless. You're, you're, there, there's an innocence to this voice. There is a, a natural grace to this voice, but it has not been polished up into like a, a more powerful tool. Right. And that works for, I think, a 16-year-old character. Absolutely. And the, the way that it's always been justified by other people is that Christine Daae is supposed to be this like 
magnificent otherworldly voice, which is why Sarah Brightman can pull off playing like a 16 or eight year, 18 year old. It depends on like wh- whose interpretation of the script it is, whatever. Sure. Um, but why her voice is so powerful. But it, it just makes more sense to me to have Christine Daae sound like this, where the, the high notes just really float up there. She really doesn't have a very strong vibrato. Um, it just works for me a little mm-hmm. bit better. Um, I think that it's just it's just very sweet. She sounds very sweet, and for me, it helps me keep the the thought in my head of how young she's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Because stories like Phantom of the Opera, as well as Beauty and the Beast, Romeo and Juliet, a lot of these like classic romance stories, they're so frequently cast by people that are so much older mm-hmm. that you forget that they're children. Mm-hmm. And it's important not to forget that they're this young when they start making the dumbest decisions of their life so far. Oh, of course. Because you need to remember, like, this is not a seasoned 30-year-old woman. This is a teenage girl who's like, wait, mystery man in the in the wall with beautiful singing voice wants me to be a star? Hell yeah, I'm going for this. And it's like, no, this is a walking red flag. But you don't know it's a red flag yet. Yeah. You haven't lived to, to know that that's a red flag yet. Yeah. Um, I think of most people's introduction to musicals is most likely through like Disney. Oh, yeah. Um, particularly like classic Disney. They're, they're all musicals, mm-hmm. especially in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Christine in this movie sings more like a Snow White character. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um. But we, I think, are accustomed to, you know, Little Mermaid on vocals, which are more womanly mm-hmm. sounding. And even to the point of being anachronistic, where like Manny Moore singing as Rapunzel doesn't sound like what Snow White sounds like, which is probably what it should sound like. Mm-hmm. Like those are just goofy pop songs that don't really fit in the context of that world. Mm-hmm. I think our brains are trained in a weird way where you don't, you, you this feels wrong, but mm-hmm. it's actually right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think like people hear this very young sounding voice and they're like, that's not right. And no, no, for the character, that is correct. Like yeah. that is absolutely who it should be. Mm-hmm. So Christine has a love interest. Sure. And we need to talk about Raul, uh, played by Patrick Wilson, um, who I love so very much. And it was one of those things where I think, honestly, this might be where I started getting really indignant about how much I like Phantom of the Opera. Okay. Uh, was when The Conjuring Part 2 came out. Um, Patrick Wilson has been in a lot of horror movies. Uh, I think that's where people are starting to know him from better at this point. Um, I mean, he's he's one of the Warrens. He's Ed Warren in, in The Conjuring series. He's also in the Insidious films. He's also in Hard Candy. Woo, that's a rough one. I well, saw we'll that. We'll do that eventually. <laughs> I saw that movie right around the time I saw Phantom, and that was a very confusing thing for my brain. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Patrick Wilson sings in Insidious Part Two, and people were like, "Oh my god, where did this come from, Patrick Wilson? Your voice!" And it's like, first of all, fuckers, he's in Phantom of the Opera. Second of all. He's a theater boy. Like, where did this come from? Years of training. <laughs> like, that's where it came from. Here's the thing. Yeah, he's in Phantom, but Phantom is very much a musical that's like a two-song show. And he doesn't sing either of the two songs. Correct. So it's like, it's real easy to forget that he sings in this movie. To be fair, this is a show that I think a lot of people forget there are characters outside of Christine and the Phantom. <laughs> Um, like, it's not that they forget, like, oh, I forgot, like, I thought this was a two-person show. Like, no one is thinking that. But I think your brain, like, just doesn't process, like, other people are here and taking part of it. 
Like, for example, we're not going to have the chance to dedicate a lot of time to talk about Carlotta, Minnie Driver doing one of the campiest, most ridiculous prima donna characters, and I'm obsessed with everything she does. I think she's fun. I think she's so fun. And then she gets to sing that very boring song over the end credits that they put in specifically because they wanted to be able to be eligible for best original song. See, and then that's like your Rapunzel anachronistic pop song that doesn't belong in this time period. Because then all of a sudden it's like learn to be lonely and you're like, what is happening? What? I mean, <sighs> maybe you should learn to be lonely, Christine. <laughs> you know what? Yes, that's good <laughs> advice. She should probably be single take that. for a while. <laughs> Figure your life out. Here, here's the thing. We're, we're about to get to him. Um, Phantom very much feels like the twilight of its day. Uh, yeah. Where you have maybe a, a little too obsessive of an older man taking a lot of interest in a teenage girl while there being another guy who will defend you from the clearly bad guy, but mm-hmm. probably might not be the best. He's just a guy who happens to be there and mm-hmm. is not a creepy stalker. <laughs> and Christine's just kind of a, a bland, naive ingenue. And so here's... I'm really glad you brought that up. Had this movie come out in a post-Twilight world, there absolutely would have been Team Jacob and Team Raul, like, Mm -hmm. shipping wars. Yeah. Because the biggest problem that I have with this rendition of Phantom of the Opera is that the the Phantom is so sympathetic and hot because it's Gerard Butler Mm -hmm. that, like, at no point am I like, girl, run. I'm like... You know what? Everyone makes a poor decision here and there. Everybody fucks a red flag at some point. You'll be fine. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I should not feel that way. I should be like, Christine, run. He's the worst person imaginable. But then it's Gerard Butler, and I'm like, but he's so dreamy. <laughs> and, like, I shouldn't be feeling that way about the Phantom. But you know what? Joel Schumacher, who, first off, was handpicked by Andrew Lloyd Webber in the 80s to direct this movie. So this was not just like, oh, it's 2004, who's available? He's been on board since the beginning because Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, hey, that really gay vampire movie you made, The Lost Boys, I think you would be great for Phantom, which is so perfect in, in my brain. But Joel Schumacher handpicked Gerard Butler because he liked him so much in Dracula 2000. Bro, why are there so many decisions being made centered on vampire movies? I don't know, but the Twilight comparison is even stronger. Mm -hmm. And I really love the idea of the man who gave us the ice skating action sequences from Batman and Robin (laughs) being hand chosen by the man who did Starlight Express and went, that's who I want to do my dramatic opera (laughs) musical. I also just love the fact that he was like, I'm doing a movie called The Phantom of the Opera. Who am I going to have be the phantom? This guy who has never sang. Like, And it shows. What? And here's the thing. I don't want to be too mean to Gerard Butler because he's not a singer. And like judging him as a singer, I think is kind of mean and kind of unfair. He is doing his best. Unfortunately, that means that a little bit of his performance is stifled because I think his brain is going 100 miles an hour of, oh my God, I have to hit this note correctly. Oh my God, where does this note sit in my body? Oh my God, how do I do this? If I fuck this up, everyone is going to hate me. I have to do this. And you can hear it in his voice every once in a while, especially when he has to hit high notes because I can <laughs> I can hear like the anxiety in his voice. I'm just like, so. 
are. And I'm just like, oh, buddy, you're trying so hard. See, here's the thing. I actually don't think Gerard Butler would be a bad singer. I think this part is just not suited for him well. It's too hard for um, him. Like I, I say, as I said, I didn't like Le Mis earlier, and I stand by that. Um, I defend Russell Crowe and Les Mis because I don't think Russell Crowe is a terrible singer, but Russell Crowe should be singing like Bruce Springsteen, not musical theater. I agree completely. And it's, I, sometimes you just don't fit the role. And I, exactly. A hundred, a hundred percent. And that's something that I think is also really important that people don't recognize a lot of times is like sometimes somebody is not a bad actor. They're just miscast. Yeah. I think he's miscast in this. The original choice for The Phantom was Hugh Jackman, who is a Broadway guy. Would have been much better. Would have been much better, but he had to go do Van Helsing. Again, a vampire movie. Yeah. (laughs) There is so much vampirism in Phantom of the Opera, it's ridiculous. I mean, The Phantom feels very much like a vampire. I mean, Don Juan, like, is kind of got some vampire shit going on there. Like, there's, yeah, there's a lot of vampirism just surrounding this. No wonder Um, you were drawn to this. Yeah, I guess. I guess, like, the little, like, baby vampire goth inside of me was just aching for it. Who I mean, knows? It's, it's gothic. Yeah, it is. Sure. Um, oh God. But, yeah, he's he's trying really, really hard. And I think that it's really unfair how mean people are about it. Because in this instance, if you're going to be mad and think that he's not doing a good job, don't blame him. Blame the producers who signed off on it. Blame Schumacher who wanted it. And because I can't even be mad at him for taking the role. If someone came up to me and was like, you're going to be in the Phantom of the Opera and I want you to be the Phantom, you're who I want. I'm not going to say no to that, no matter how miscast I would be, because that's a role of a lifetime. Like, that sounds amazing. would be a weird choice for the Phantom, though. I would be. Do you know who I would not be a weird choice for? And I'm still waiting to do it. The dentist in Little Shop of Horrors. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Down once more. Dungeons of my black despair. Down we plunge to the prison of my mind. Down that path into darkness, deep as hell. But there is one character that we have to talk about. And by character, I mean, everything Joel Schumacher did. Like, the, the spectacle of this movie is its own character. Schumacher is by far the most interesting thing about this movie. Because, boy, is this movie long. And also, most pretty much every memorable thing about Phantom of the Opera is in, like, the first half. Yeah, all of, like, the, the, the big trademark things are all in the first half. Yeah, so uh, Schumacher kind of, like, blows his load immediately out the gate. Uh-huh. And then it just can't sustain super well for two and a half hours. Because, like, when this movie opens, it's kind of got this, like, grainy black and white shot at, like, eight frames a second to, I guess, simulate the fact that, like, we're in the future and we've d- invented camcorders and this is what it would look like. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I do, too. And then you have, like, the flashbacks to our main plot go on. And it come flashes to color, and then there's candles lit, and the farty organ is happening, and it's so beautiful. But we've already hit a 10. Yes. We're coming out the gate, hitting the ceiling, and there's <laughs> nowhere else to go. <laughs> so there is an article from 10 years ago, Films in Retrospective, written by Maggie McMahon. Oh, I thought it was McGuffin. It is absolutely McMuffin. That can't be her real name. That has to be a, a, a pseudonym. And if it's not, if your last name is actually McMuffin, 
that rules. It does rule. Um, but this article uh, I really wanted to reference because I looked up some research and I found brilliant analyses from people who have PhDs in musical theater. I found people who were doing just brilliant film criticism. That's fine. I don't give a flying shit about any of that. This article is written from somebody who went balls to the wall obsessed with Phantom as a teenage theater kid and then is now an adult and had to go, oh God, that's the perspective I actually care about. Uh And that's what I'm going to bring to you today. I'm trying to think of anything I can say about how much I used to love this movie, but all I can say is that in my defense, I was 15 and desperate to sing well. I was frequently involved in love triangles. I worked so hard in school plays that one day I passed out in the bathroom during fourth period from malnutrition, and me and my friends left offerings to the ghost of our cafetorium, who were blamed for the curtain getting stuck, props going missing, odd noises, and that day that the lights turned off and every door in the vicinity slammed shut. No, really, that one was really scary. <laughs> Non-automatic doors just slamming shut in quick rhythmic succession. There may be a scientific explanation for it about wind and air pressure, but the simpler explanation is ghost. It didn't re- take me long to realize how dumb this movie is because the musical it's based on is dumb. The book the musical is based off is dumb. Not as dumb as the Susan K. prequel sequel retelling, but close. And yes, I read that. I read that and watched multiple shitty adaptations of the original book, and God help me, I even wrote fan fiction and did role-playing on Neopets for this. I was 15, and I was entranced by the magic of theater or something. <laughs> or so, something. So I needed you to hear that, because I needed you to know the perspective of the person who is who is talking about this movie, because it is just brilliant. So upon this rewatch... I'm not expecting much from this movie except to laugh and still love the supporting cast. Because Minnie Driver playing an opera diva, I'm here for that. But mostly, I'm thinking about how at 15, it was really exciting to see a 14-year-old playing a lead in a major musical. Now that I'm 25, I did the rewatch on my birthday and the day after. It seemed fitting to do a retrospect then. All I can think about is, who thought it was a good idea to cast a 16-year-old in a film where she has to make out with two 35-year-olds? What the fuck, Hollywood? There's meta, and then there's uncomfortable. All right, let's start this train wreck. So... Yes, it does the black and white thing like you said, but I oh, I just really got to hammer in this description because it feels like it came from my own soul, mm-hmm. and that's why I wanted to read it. They lift the chandelier, and the overture actually starts, and it is on. We got color. We got loud sounds. We've got every audience member being ear-fucked by synthesizers. Remember musical theater in the 80s? Well, now you fucking will. Also, it's 1861 now, so you know. <laughs> and like... Yes, that's exactly what happens. Like, you're like, oh, sweet little musical. And then it just like kicks the door in and it's like, let's fucking sing. It's Phantom Time. And you're like, whoa. Like, a pipe organ is the loudest, most massive instrument we've ever produced as a species. Yes. So again, we're at a 10 already. Out of control. Out of control. Like, (laughs) We're not, we can't physically blow the roof off even though we want to. So that means we're just repeatedly hitting the ceiling. Yes. And you're right. Everything is from a 10 there. The only time I think it picks up is when we finally get the theme. Everyone in, I think, the English speaking world knows the theme to Phantom of the Opera. You may not know the words, you may not know anything. But if you hear, dun, 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 dun. Your brain knows that's Phantom of the Opera. It doesn't, you have never had to have seen it. It's just permeated pop culture at this point. Sure. It's out of control. <laughs> so here's, uh, here's what Maggie McMuffin has to say about that. I still can't get over the name. 
when we're talking about spectacle of of Schumacher, this is this is what we mean. And then we get the theme song and a travel montage. Wall sconces shaped like arms. Wind blowing through the underground. There's a horse. The horse leads to a boat. Christine's hair has gotten bigger and suddenly she's wearing more eye makeup. There are Greek statues built into the sewers. Christine's gown splits open, revealing all the leg and also that she's wearing what appear to be modern thigh-high stockings. There are candles everywhere. Candles on the floor. Candles on the walls. Candles rising from the water already lit. Got that bitch some candles because bitches love candles. Bitches do love candles. Bitches do love candles and that is one 100% the kind of just ridiculous world that we're living in is <laughs> just Joel Schumacher's idea of fancy Paris opera. It's just, uh, honestly, it's like the all gold, everything extravagance of like the 70s into yes. the 80s. Like the opulence, hedonistic, gold painted everything. Yes, and we see that in Masquerade. Like they talk like in Vegas. They talk in Masquerade how there's like multiple colors, and Joel Schumacher was like, actually, what, what if, if four? What if just gold, white, black, and cream? What mm-hmm. if that? Whoa! And to me, honestly, like every once in a while, you'll hear about a director who's like, well, I just really wanted to try my hand at something new. Like this movie is a Joel Schumacher movie with no bisexual lighting. That's uh, that is worth the price of admission alone, just to see, well, what is he going to do without bisexual lighting? For those that don't know what that means, Joel Schumacher is really good at putting pink and blue against each other in lighting. All of the Lost Boys, most of the Batman movies, bisexual lighting, Joel Schumacher, patron saint of it. R.I.P., you are a real one. <laughs> but like seeing what that person's brain does with this movie is just a feast. It is a feast for the eyes. Yeah, it it is. So, um, uh, BJ, my understanding of Schumacher is that he used to be a costume guy. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> so, he's got an eye for aesthetics, mm-hmm. and he goes to the nines. Yeah, yeah, he does, which I think is fantastic. Like, it, it, some of my favorite directors are either people that are just perennial weirdos, like John Waters, obviously, perennial weirdo, um, or people that are an artist from a different medium, like John Carpenter is a filmmaker, yes. He's also a musician. Like, so his brain works in, like, a very different way. But then you have people like Joseph Kahn who do, like, weird, weird music videos and then makes weird movies in response to it, which I think are super cool. Schumacher is a costume guy. So there's an artistry in his work that you don't really see from a lot of other people. And he understands theater and drama. Like, that is his thing. Mm -hmm. And it's so evident in this movie because... Even if it's, like, boring, I know a lot of people think that's too long, yourself included. Oh, we'll get to that. (laughs) But at least, like, even if you're not paying attention, it's like, this is pretty to look at. That's the thing. Is Okay, so this movie is very much Schumacher wanting to be like, hey, that Baz Luhrmann guy, he did Moulin Rouge. I want to do Moulin Rouge. A little bit. This is his version of Moulin Rouge. And I love Baz Luhrmann very much. Him and Schumacher don't give you boring-looking movies. They always give you something interesting to look at. Like, I don't give a shit about an Elvis biopic. I'm going to go see an Elvis biopic because Boz Lerman's going to do some interesting-looking shit. It's going to be pretty. <laughs> Absolutely. And they both also do things for the sake of aesthetic and give no care at all as to how this fits in the story world because when she does go into the sewer and she's with the Phantom and he's like, hey, this is where I live, and... 
there's kind of that moment of like, y'all really live like this? Uh, you, you live in a poopy French sewer? <laughs> you live in a poop sewer with a lot of meat? Like, why did you lug all these mirrors down here if you're not even going to use them? Also, you've been making dioramas of the opera upstairs? Where did you get all of these tools? How did you learn how to paint miniatures? There's a, this must have taken you a very long time. Are you just sitting down here in poop water making minis? What's he, happening? He just makes crafts. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have rent to pay. You know, that's a He's great point. He's got nothing but time on his hands. That's a very, very he good point. He is an artiste. <laughs> but like, that's what I'm talking about is like, you get that aesthetic of like, look at this diorama I've made of your performance. At no point does anyone go, huh? Well, that's weird. This sh- probably shouldn't be standing. It's really damp down here because it's a sewer. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, nah, who fucking cares? It looks awesome on camera. You know and what? kind of threatening. Maybe that's why Gerard Butler doesn't sing well, because the Phantom lives in a poopy sewer. You know what? That can't be good for your voice. <laughs> no. Your sinuses are fucked. Your lymph nodes are swollen constantly. <laughs> you know what? He wears Maybe. a mask because he has pink eye. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that was the brilliant decision all along. It's like, well, he can't sound good. He lives in Shitwaterville. Of course. Here's the thing. He ends up standing and having a fight with Raul in the poopy water later. And nobody addresses that it's Shitwater. <laughs> no, but that's actually when I like the Phantom's voice the best. Because obviously he's a just tremendous red flag and he's clearly a fucking liar because he somehow convinced this literal child that he's an angel who lives in the sewer. And mm-hmm. she's just like, wow, just sure. An angel. And you love me and you live down here. That's cool. I just Not a second thought just goes along with it. When he's like strangling Raul in the poopy water and his voice is gruff and he's doing kind of a character voice. It's nice. That's when his voice sounds the best. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think artistically you could say like, oh, well, that's the Phantom Trink singing in his true voice. He's revealed his true self now for the for the metaphorical monster that he is. And I'm like, or it's more like acting and less like singing because it's a character voice and Gerard yes. Butler can do that. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't have to try so hard to be pretty. <laughs> no, that's uh, that's very accurate. I think it's also important to to take in mind Phantom of the Opera takes place over, like, a decent amount of time. Does it? It feels like three days. It feels like three days. It's not. Like, that's why there's snow on the on the roof. Like, it takes place over some time. But it's not very clear. Because, again, Joel Schumacher doesn't give a shit about, like, story continuity. It's, we're here for the experience. We're here for the experience. It's like, Carlotta is presented as the most insufferable pain in the ass, and people apparently think she can't sing. Then why is it a big deal that she's going to quit? Like... The logic, like it doesn't She's an exist. Established star, like it, it's the logic of this movie doesn't fucking exist. It's ridiculous. But yeah, then there's also you know like the Halloween thing, which is the masquerade, and like haha, now it's a costume party, and you're like, okay, cool. But the other thing, I, I'm not gonna try to get hung up on logic in this movie because I think that that's silly. Um, so Christina and I will do get engaged and like, she's got to keep it a secret because the Phantom's going to be mad. Um, so, you know, that's a thing. And also like, she has to be the star or the Phantom's going to like tear down the theater. And here's, here's what I will say. I am a defender of Phantom of the Opera, but Phantom of the Opera is in no way the best version of this story. The best version of that is Phantom of the Paradise. We love you beef. Fucking love beef. (laughs) Carrot Cram's the coolest. I love beef so much. (laughs) Um, For those who have not seen it, uh, this is starting to pick up steam in terms of like horror circles. But if you're listening to this episode, I guarantee this would be something that might interest you. 
Phantom of the Paradise is directed by Brian De Palma, who also gave you movies like Carrie and Scarface and a lot of other things. Um, but the music's by Paul Williams, who is one of the greatest songwriters to ever live. Uh, Paul Williams, significantly better songwriter than Andrew Lloyd Webber. He wrote music for the Muppets. Yeah, he wrote Rainbow Connection. Like, yeah, and moving right along. Yeah, it's perfect songs. The Muppet Movie, a superior musical to <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> but like <laughs> Phantom of the Paradise does this story just better for me. It's it's far more intense. It's also just a, a lot more interesting. Um, but I still really like Tantrum throwing Phantom in this. I just do. I just think that it's really funny. And I, and I, I shouldn't feel that way, though, is the thing. Like, I should be terrified of the Phantom. Well, Schumacher can't do serious. And I'm just, I'm not scared of him. Like, nothing about him scares me. I'm kind of like, mm, all right. Yeah, like, well, I wanna, I will, I'll get to that in one sec. But I, I kind of love that he just throws temper tantrums into going, like, you didn't give me what I want. I'm going to kill this person. You didn't give me what I want. I'm going to give you my own play, and I get a star in it. So deal with it. He's like the kid who makes up rules when you're playing pretend. Where it's like, no, uh, no, uh, you can't shoot me with a laser. I, I have a laser vest that you can't shoot through. Fuck you. <laughs> like that's what Phantom's doing. He, he lives in a sewer. He has not been socialized well, and he's a bratty little boy. Well, and like we also get like a little bit of sympathy backstory. It's like he was also in a freak show because of his deformed face. And he was the elephant boy. Yeah, and like yeah, I feel bad about. He's that. He's not a monster. He's a human being. He he is, and I feel bad about that. But also, you've been hiding him in the sewers for years. Like you could have just been like, "Hey, this is our new friend." I don't know, Frank. It's close to Phantom. Whatever his name is. Whatever his name is. Here's our new friend. Uh, don't be mean about his face, you assholes. Yeah. But instead, it was like, well, you got a fucked up face, kid. You got to live in the sewer now. Sorry. Them's the breaks. Yeah. And it's like, what? I don't know. These these are not kind times. No, it's not um, kind times at I, all. But, but that's the thing I, I want to get to is his face. Mm-hmm. And how they they didn't really put a lot of work into giving him a, 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 fa- a gross phantom face. They didn't, and they were like, "I don't know, he's he's a little lumpy, and he doesn't have an eyebrow now." And here's here's the thing: Hollywood has a huge problem with the way that people with any sort of deformity, but specifically facial deformities, have been presented. They mm-hmm. are almost universally presented as either horrible villains that are just absolute monsters, and you are meant to fear them, mm-hmm. and that's why their face is gross. Or you're supposed to feel so bad for them and it's like the worst tragedy because heaven forbid the worst thing that could ever happen to you is that you're ugly. Mm-hmm. That said, Phantom of the Opera is dealing with this very awful trope. Like very, very awful trope. It's intrinsic to the plot. Though. It's intrinsic to the plot. Like, so like it, it has, has to exist. It has to be there. It has to exist. And the problem is that because they didn't go far enough with it in terms of it's like making him look like a monster. He just kind of looks like a burn victim. And Mm -hmm. like, one, that's not scary. Um, So if you were expecting like a (gasps) gasp scare, that's not going to happen, number one. Um, And number two, it almost feels more offensive, if if that makes sense, because I'm like, that just looks like people that I have met in my life. Like, that's Mm -hmm. almost worse. Um, But because it doesn't have that like horrible, like he's growing... I don't know. He's got a face on his face. Like, because that's not a thing. He doesn't have like lizard scales or something. Yeah. There's not something like so over the top, otherworldly scary about him. Then all of like the threatening nature of him falls flat. 
And then again, like I've now been meant to sympathize with him. So like he's not a threat in my brain. Like he seems like somebody who just really, really needs help. I feel bad for him. Uh I'm not scared of him. And like he doesn't play like a villain anymore. So then like a lot of his actions suddenly like it just it messes with the morality of this script. And on one hand, like that's a good thing. Like we shouldn't be demonizing people with like deformities. Like that's a good thing. But when that's intrinsic to the story, then the story doesn't work anymore. No. And then I'm just left with, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to take from this. Yeah. And it, it, it really is just like a creative shorthand. And it's a 200-year-old story. Right. And the issue that you then run into is you have all these, like, 13-year-old girls who are obsessed with Phantom of the Opera and he's so dreamy looking because half of his face just looks like normal Gerard Butler and the other half of his face looks like almost normal Gerard Butler. Right. And so they don't really realize, oh, wait, he's a bad guy. Right. Like, you've not taught them how to recognize red flags for this. And that really muddle- muddies this in a way where they're still walking around going like, Oh, but Edward is so dreamy, though. 100%. And like, like, sure, he talks about how he wants to, like, literally kill me, but that's kind of sexy, though. He's so into me. 100%. And, like, that's why it gets kind of, like, weird because it's like, I don't want people to associate facial deformities with a red flag, but his behavior has not been heightened enough. Like, he's still kind of doing nice things. Like, he, it never comes off as, like, genuinely threatening And then when the reveal is that he's just kind of a guy and, yeah, his face isn't quite as symmetrical as it was, like, I don't know how we're supposed to feel about him. And and that gets gets messy because he's not a good guy. I don't know. I I guess we're supposed to judge him by his actions because in the first half of the movie, he's, like, super nice and helps her sing and is the angel of music. And in the second half, it's like, ah, yes, he's revealed his true colors, and he's actually a petty, selfish, tantrum-throwing murderer. He sends passive-aggressive letters. Yeah, we're supposed to judge him as his character there, but if we're only supposed to judge the Phantom by his actions, then him having uh, have to wear a mask doesn't really mean anything. No, like it doesn't make it. It just gets kind of weird too, because after we're supposed to feel bad about him, is then also when we get his backstory. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, now I know the truth, so I'm not scared of him. I'd want him to be helped. Yeah, like, like... It just... And and that's the thing is, like, when you have a character like Phantom, like, I don't want any girl to watch this and be like, I could fix him. Mm-hmm. Like, you that's don't... That's what it is, though. And that's what this ends up being. And I'm like, no. No, but daddy, I swear I can fix him. Right, no, no. <laughs> don't fix him. He's Someone else needs to fix him. He's on a rooftop in the snow about how he will get his revenge. Right. You will rue the day. Right. And you're just like, oh, God, no. Um, so, yeah. Phantom is like the first ever incel. Yeah. Yeah, he really is. And like, th- I guess that's my my big beef with I this. I complimented you. Why haven't you responded to my DM? I showed you my duck. Please respond. Basically. <laughs> I showed you my sewer diorama. Please respond. I showed you my sewer horse. Please respond. I've done all these things for you. You owe me. I made you a star. You owe me. And also, if you don't have sex with me, then I will kill Raul. And also, Phantom, your musical's not very good, dude. Your opera's not that great. No, but it comes out like very Schumachery in that it immediately starts at a 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Oh, gosh. It's just, 
it's just a whole a whole thing. I mean, he's got like a doll down there with her in a dress, like just his own mannequin. Yeah, some his... men just collect mannequins, and it's weird. <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's just it's just so awkward and weird, and <sighs> sure, um, and I I don't know. It ends weird, like. Every, no, everybody escapes. Nobody dies. Raul and Christine live happily ever no, after. Nobody dies. A lot of people die. Just okay. nobody important. Nobody important dies. <laughs> Christine and Raul get married. They have kids. She dies in like her 60s. Raul gets to be an old man. Phantom somehow outlives her, even though he's supposed to be way older than her, mm-hmm. but isn't. Um, it, weird. I don't know. Power of the ring on his, the, the rose on his grave or whatever sure. shit you want to do. Um, so yeah, it it's an everlasting rose he put there decades ago. Yeah, yeah, it's just okay. <laughs> it's just, it's just a thing. Sure. So yeah, the, the movie falls apart at the end. Um, but that's fine. That's why most people just think of the first half. Which it's so weird because there's way more action and stuff happening mm-hmm. in the second half. Mm-hmm. Like we we've elevated to murder. Yeah. And like petty threats. Yeah. And so many more things are happening. There's sword fights in and, a graveyard. And smoke m- bomb disappearances. <laughs> like, <laughs> so much happens in the second half, and none of it is memorable. And none Partially of it... because none of the music is as memorable. And it also just doesn't feel like it matters. No. Like, none of it feels like it matters. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's Phantom of the Opera. I still have a blast watching it because it's just so absurd and weird and... I get why people love it. I also very much get why people hate it. I'm not offended by people hating it. I don't expect people to like it because <laughs> um, there's a lot wrong with it. But I think that it's very adventurous, and I think it's also very cool that this is this is how they chose to interpret the material. Andrew Lloyd Webber has famously said that like he enjoys the movie. He's like, this is exactly what it should have been, and I'm very proud of what they did. Okay. Um, he invested, I think, like six or eight million of his own money into the movie. Like, because he believed in it. He believed in the vision. And if he's happy, then that's all you can ask for. I guess I would personally like to ask for quite a bit more. <laughs> and also less. Yeah. I mean, I I do think that if Schumacher just really swung for the fences on this and just went balls to the wall, this would be a lot more beloved than it is. Because then at least, like, the, the camp crowd would have embraced it a bit more. Mm-hmm. But for for what it is in terms of like Schumacher trying to take one of the most, you know, this is this is the height of class for some people, as we have learned (laughs) by your story. So he was making this for that audience, like that mainstream audience. And I think he did exactly what he should have done. I guess Mm -hmm. I, I BJ, we've made it this far into the episode. And I think that we have done a marvelous job. Especially me. <laughs> we put in a lot of work discussing Phantom and what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I just need to come clean now and say that I did not enjoy watching this at all. You know what? I, I'm i sure people have gotten an inkling of that. I would boy, have assumed. Boy, I really, really didn't enjoy my time with Phantom. The tears I might have shed for your dark fate grow cold. Yeah, I knew going into this that you did not have a good time watching it because I watched it with you, so I watched you be in pain. Um, I'm sorry you don't like it. 
I... This is very much a soap movie, which uh, if you've missed our Black Christmas 2006 episode, soap is basically describing something as like some people can't eat cilantro because it tastes like soap to them and that's just in their genetics and there's nothing they can do about it. Everything about this movie does not play to my strengths. Yeah, this is this is very much this is so much soap you are having a bubble bath. I've never wished for a movie to be done as much as I've wanted <laughs> Phantom to be done. Oh, I'm sorry. We've watched way worse movies we, on this the show. The thing is we've definitely watched worse movies, but it's just so long and you you peak early mm-hmm. and then it just sticks around forever. Which then is exhausting. It that's the thing, yes. is it's extremely exhausting. And it's such like a constant high level of drama that also feels like it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Like this was sort of a running joke that I said for a long time, and it's clearly a joke, but there is a little bit of truth to it that like if your if your movie is a drama, you ain't special. All movies have dramas. Yeah. Like there's drama in every do. fucking movie. <laughs> so like what else you got? And like, what else you got is spectacle. And songs. Uh, I don't like the songs. I know. Hey, can I? Opera? I actually rather like opera. Mm-hmm. I don't like opera in English. Okay, that I will give you. I also am not a huge fan of opera in English. I think that... It's, it's the worst Latin language to have an opera in. Yeah, I think the romantic language, so like Spanish, Italian, French, like those are the ones that lend the best to opera Mm -hmm. um german opera sounds weird as hell but like is interesting because it's just a lot of like harsh sounding it's very harsh (laughs) so like hearing it sung beautifully is like wild to hear in the ears but yeah english opera doesn't work very well in a lot of cases it just it just sounds off yeah is the only way i can describe it The, the way i think i could best describe it is that since opera is a very classic form of writing you know lyrics and song it doesn't need to rhyme because that's a more modern convention. Mm-hmm. And since it doesn't rhyme and it follows like the particular meter of opera, a lot of their lyrics feel very like first draft. Like you're sort of just making them up as you go along. Oh, because a lot of it's observational too. Yeah. And it just feels off and, un- and off-putting. And also I'm, I'm kind of a, this isn't always the case, but I'm a little bit of like a don't bore us, get to the chorus kind of musical theater person. Yes, you are. I, I was in charge of making the uh, playlist for this year's May Musical Month of some of my favorite songs from musicals. A lot of them are from rock musicals. Not all of them. But I said I, a lot of them, not all of many them. Many of them are just more contemporary. There, yeah. There is like nothing pre-Sondheim. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think almost all of them are 70s onward. Mm-hmm. So I, I like something a little bit more modern, something with, a, with, with some catchiness to it. Mm-hmm. The catchiest parts of Phantom are just motifs that are borrowed from Angel of Music and the Phantom Overture for the rest of the movie. I could not tell you any of the other things because there's no catchiness to this. Think and, of me. And it's, eh, whatever, I couldn't tell you how it goes. But it's an operatic musical, so there's no talking. And it's going to be really fucking interesting to find clips for this episode because all I do is sing. And it just, it, it wears me out. Yeah. And I also, I don't like period pieces. No, that is that is another very important thing, which we really haven't gotten to talk about a lot on the show because most of the stuff that we cover is contemporary because, mm-hmm. again, teen movies are trying to be time capsules. They're yeah. trying to capture the then and the there. This is one of the few examples where it's like, what about teens from way, way back in the day? Yeah. So in terms of soap, if if this was so soapy that it's a bubble bath, 
like it's mostly period piece related mm-hmm. to like that is it's not, at least two cups of the bubble bath it's not even like i'm in a bubble bath it's like you filled the tub up with bubble bath liquid this is a foam party <laughs> kind of it's it's just too much i period piece dramas are the most tailor-made not harmony movie genre imaginable can i can i say a thing that's gonna make a lot of gay gasps happen do it i know exactly what you're gonna say because this is this is the movie i point to as the nope soap movie harmony does not like portrait of a lady on fire boy howdy do i not (laughs) it is so boring me so slow and there's literally no music in the whole movie till the end cool how long did it take us to get there a while we have one song that they play on a piano and then again at the end and the end is actually good yeah. Uh, but how long did it was take like, us to get there? Full body sobbing when we got to the end of it, and I look over and she's like, Thank God it's over. <laughs> and that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with that. It just doesn't work to your sensibilities. No, and, and that's, that's why fine. that's why it's soap. I I look at movie I process movies the way I process music. So like the score matters. The music matters, especially in a musical. And the fact that Portrait of a Lady on Fire is like, no, what if there's no music? <laughs> what if it's just two women longingly looking at each other going, but we can't? for two hours (laughs) yeah yeah i understand i get the thing is i get why you don't like it i don't try to force it on you you don't like it like Mm -hmm. it's just not a thing that works for you and that's okay this goes back to our discussion about like george bowler's not a bad actor he's miscast in this yeah i don't think phantom of the opera is a bad movie it's just not for you no it's it's the same way that a lot of people are like, but Twilight's fun. And I'm like, I don't find it fun. Right. It's the same. It's cut from the same cloth of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, we're playing we're playing in the same sandbox. Yeah. And I have the same sensibilities of fun or lack thereof, in my opinion. I don't know if they're in the same sandbox. They're definitely at the same playground, though. Sure. Yeah. So, yes, there, there's, there's my negative feelings that just <laughs> I let spill out of me about Phantom. Well, uh... I mean, I guess the only thing we can do now is ask the question. Phantom of the Opera is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? I mean, in terms of my own personal enjoyment, the answer is a no, but also I don't think Phantom is bad per se. Mm-hmm. Um, if if it's anything to go off of from the constant defenders of movies that people shit on super yucky. Like, Love you, super yucky. There's a lot of people out there who have the... Uh, who have their Phantom of the Opera shirt. Yeah, their d- Justice or Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, people like this movie. I it, I can't judge this movie properly on its merit or quality in the same way that I can't do it for Portrait of a Lady on Fire, or mm-hmm. I can't do it for The Witch, mm-hmm. or I can't do it for any of these other long period piece dramatic films mm-hmm. that are just not for me. Mm-hmm. And I can't say they're bad because I have no metric for that. Yeah, because it's not for you. Correct. Yeah. So that's why it's going on its own. All right. And I will pin like a $20 bill to its collar and it can find a ride and find its way back somehow. (laughs) I'm not even driving it. (laughs) That sounds perfect. I think that is more than fair. And I I was going to try to like nudge you in that direction. Be like, but we don't get teen period pieces often. It's probably important that we keep it. So I'm glad that you got there on your own. I didn't have to do too much uh, persuasion. I mean, I that that's me leading with my heart. And then having my critical thoughts mm-hmm. actually come to the conclusion. Well, beautiful. Well, friends, I think that takes us out on Phantom of the Opera. 
I hope you have enjoyed this lively discussion. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends Up Prom. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram if you want to yell at me about (laughs) (laughs) how I don't like Phantom of the Opera. Uh, at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use the song title for our theme song. As far as a cool musician to check out. Oh, yeah, you wanted to take the lead on this one. It's my turn. <laughs> I don't know why I decided to be like maniacal about this. I'm actually very excited. So, yeah, we were trying to figure out like a cool band for people to check out. And it's like, it's fucking Phantom of the Opera. Like, if it was at least like Jesus Christ Superstar, which in my opinion is the best thing that Andrew Lloyd Webber has ever done. Don't at me. I'm right. Um, it'd be a lot easier. Uh, but it's not. It's opera. So Finding that in like the indie sphere to yeah. plug is a little difficult. Though if I really wanted to just fill in that blank, I'd be like, oh, fuck it. I, I like Within Temptation. There you go. Go listen to that. Yeah, there you go. I, um, I don't think they're independent. They're just foreign. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of not independent, just foreign, uh, uh-huh. that's what I'm suggesting today. So one of my favorite singer-songwriters, uh, she's been one of my favorite singer-songwriters for about 10 years. Um, her name is Kate miller Heidke. And while she is definitely not an indie act by any stretch of the imagination, um, she's from Australia and she's like a big deal over there. She's a very minor hit over here, which is a shame because she's brilliant. Um, If you follow Eurovision at all, she represented Australia at Eurovision with the song Zero Gravity, which is fantastic. I highly recommend you check it out. But what makes her so brilliant is she writes these very like wonderful pop songs and she has a an operatic background. Uh, she also does a handful of like comedy songs every once in a while. She has a song called The Facebook Song that I love. Um, she does a lot of covers as well. Her ones of Toxic and uh, Psycho Killer are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of these instances, you just will randomly get opera notes just for no fucking reason. But they make sense on her voice and they sound wonderful. So I was like, you know what? If we're gonna if we're gonna really go into like the weird modern reinterpretation of opera, Kate Miller Heidke's who I'm gonna suggest. I think she's great. Give her a listen. And uh, hopefully some of you out there are going to be really psyched about that because you also know who she is. And I'm not just this one person on an island in America screaming about this Australian (laughs) lady I like a lot. Uh, I mean, just to reinforce this point, usually at least once a week, BJ will be listening to like Zero Gravity going like, I'm just, how did she sing so beautifully on a bungee stick? I don't understand how she has the diaphragm strength. It's (laughs) remarkable. BJ gets very emotional about it. I do, because I just, I love talented women. They make me cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, friends, we will see you next week with our next musical movie. And I'm very, very excited about it. <sighs> taking a hard turn on next week's episode. I'm taking a hard turn on the next three episodes. Yeah, it's um, true. It's going to get a lot sillier because most musicals are silly. But we hope you enjoy it, and we will see you then. Save that last dance for us. Goodbye.
Andre, this is doing nothing for my nerves. Oh, she's very pretty. Think of me, think of me fondly when we've said goodbye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.